This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Cedrola back. He turns around. That ball gone up in the pine trees along the batter's eye. It's straightaway center field. Home run, Nick Prado. His ninth of the year, a two-run shot. One, two pitches hit high in the air, deep towards left field. Aldrum Corridor backs up over towards the warning track. Back near the wall. Bombs away. Anthony Volpe's got his fifth home run of the season, and it's his fourth homer on a Sunday. Asquintino swings. Fly ball hit well to right, and it is gone. Second home run of the game for Benny Pasquintino. This one a grand slam. He's driven in five today as three extra bases. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo. The NCAA baseball tournament is upon us. We're going to dig into that. We're going to talk about, uh, well, some of the players that we're excited to see. We're going to talk about some guys who have helped themselves heading into the tournament. We're going to talk about also some guys we're not going to see there. Some guys whose seasons have wrapped up and their teams did not make the 64-team field. Then Jim and Jonathan are going to draft the top 12 pitchers. They're going to have a 12-pitcher draft from this year's draft class. Pitching landscape is uh, dotted with injuries all over the place. It makes for an interesting topic of conversation. So these guys are going to give it a go and draft uh, six pitchers each. And we will take a look ahead at this week's minor league games that you can watch on MLB.com and MLB.tv for free. We've got a very tasty slate upcoming this week, and we'll wrap up by answering a question in the mailbag and maybe from a... uh, a previous mailbag question asker. Jim, Jonathan, the tournament is here. It's not March Madness. You guys get more excited about this tournament than March Madness, don't you? Sure. Is that fair? Yeah, I call it June Jubilation. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. I I definitely do, because my first big beat at Baseball America way back when was the college beat for eight or nine years. So um, yeah, you know, I'll sound like old man callous here, but it, it's, it's amazing to me that you can like, that, that they, they whip you from regional to regional to regional on ESPN and you can see what's going on. They can take you from one site to the other, you know, 16 games going on at the same time, which did not exist when I started covering this stuff. So I, I really enjoy the first weekend. It, it, it is very much like March Madness with, you know, you know, ninth inning game on the line. They take you there, then you know, guy hits a walk-off hit, and then they take you to the next game. It's it's a lot of fun to watch. So 64 teams being played at 16 host sites, uh, regional sites. We tallied up, uh, did a, a quick run through the teams and our top 200 draft prospects list, and it looks like there are 74 players on the top 200 that are on teams that are in the tournament. And Jim, you think it's 70 who are active? Yeah, three guys are hurt. Reggie Crawford, Hunter Barco, and um, Peyton Paulette are all out 
with Tommy John surgery and Carson Wisnett at ECU is suspended. So 70 of these guys are active. All right. So a very good taste of some of the top draft prospects who will be selected in July. You'll be able to watch them over the coming weeks in the NCAA tournament. Going into this, before we get into sort of draft specific stuff, the number one overall seed, Tennessee, no surprise there. Number two, Stanford. Number three, Oregon State. Jim, I know this is this is really one of your favorite events of the year. Is there anything going into this that stands out to you that's particularly intriguing, not necessarily just on the these are the draft prospects to watch front, but uh, just generally speaking? Yeah, in terms of, of the national seedings, there's three things that jump out. I mean, Tennessee, if, if they can win the whole tournament, has a chance to put them up there, put themselves up there with a handful of greatest teams in college baseball history. They're fifty-three and seven right now. They're loaded, but they would obviously need to win the national title. Um, the, the two other things that, that really interest me, just look at the national seeds, are a couple teams that I, I'm not sure. I, like East Carolina has never broken through to Omaha, and, and last year they had a really good team, and they ran into Vanderbilt, and pretty much you know Gavin Williams pitched Kumar Rocker very well head to head, but they lost by run, and then Carson Wisnett lost to Jack Leiter, and that was that. But ECU has been trying to get to Omaha for a long, long time, and they're number eight national seed, so they're maybe in position to to get there. They've got a good team. And then I, I think the – well, they're not unheralded because they're the number four national seed. But Virginia Tech has one of the deepest lineups in college baseball, and they're the number four national seed. Very impressive club, and it would be – you know, they've they've – you know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure they've ever been to the College World Series. To be honest with you, um, I'm trying to look that up quickly. Um, I believe that is correct. I don't think they've ever been to Omaha, but I mean, this is a really, really good team that is in position to to possibly get there for the first time. You know, Tennessee as the number one national seed, they match up against the number sixteen national seed, Georgia Southern, in their regional. So, so Tennessee, it would be a huge upset if Tennessee doesn't get to Omaha. Virginia Tech would have to play. Florida or a team that comes out of Florida's regional ECU would have to play Texas. They'd get him at home, but that would be an interesting matchup. But but ECU and and maybe Virginia Tech getting to Omaha for the first time, th- that's something I have my eye on right now. How about you, Jonathan? Anything in particular that you have your eye on? Or no, I mean m- more in a general sense. I mean I do want to see, and we were going to talk about guys who had like really good regionals. You know, the the thing that gets interesting with the draft now in July. Uh, it used to be that you know the regionals were probably the last look anybody would get in any way, shape, or form right before the the draft. I think usually the super regionals were going on, like, and then the draft would start. You know, so most you know scouts, especially the higher level scouts, are in the draft room already and preparing. So all these can be more widely scouted. So I'm you know curious to see who can, can continue to help themselves. And then just in a general sort of storyline sense, one of the things I love the most about you know, the regionals, the super regionals, and even in Omaha are when the guys who come out of nowhere, uh, you know, the the guys who have been middle relievers all year who suddenly have to start and throw seven shutout innings against the national seed, like things like that. Um, I, I love seeing those sort of unheralded guys, even the non-draft guys um, who know that this is like, this is the the pinnacle for them. Like that excites me. All right. Well, let's talk about some guys who have helped themselves heading into the tournament. Jim, who do you want to tell us about? 
The guy, I'm actually going to venture out west into Jonathan's uh, draft How territory. How dare you? I know. I know. I cleared it with you first. I, I, let, yeah. you, I let you pick first, so I, I wasn't stepping on your toes. But I'm going to go with uh, Oregon State's uh, Jacob Melton. He's an outfielder. He's the Pac-12 Player of the Year, hitting 375 with an ops over 1,100, 15 homers, 20 steals, and 21 attempts. And you know, I had him going in the first round of my last mock draft, and I, and I really think he's playing his way up the charts. You know, he's a super interesting guy. Had a shoulder injury last year, so only played half a season. He did hit 404, put up huge numbers, but only played half a season. So I think he was flying under the radar a little bit coming into this year. And you know, I, you know, he's interesting because the swing is kind of unorthodox. It's it's not the prettiest look at the plate, but it's obviously very effective. He makes a lot of contact, a lot of hard contact from the left side of the plate. Um, and it, it feels like Jonathan, does it feel like we have a number of guys with swing questions? I mean, Dylan Beavers has a hitch. Zach Nito's got a big leg kick. It seems like there's a lot of first round guys who wonder about Chase DeLauder's swing. He, he's injured, so yeah. he, he was out anyway. But it seems like there's more unorthodox swings on, on potential first rounders this year. Doesn't it seem that way? Right. And if not unorthodox, then just lengthen their swings. Brock Jones is another guy who like, was swinging and missed a ton. Uh, there are a lot of guys who, even if they're up arrows next to their names, like there are those like, Huh, college performers, but that small question mark, is this gonna work at the yeah. next level? But with you know, with Melton, he's hit everywhere. So yeah, you know, you I know, think and, it's gonna and, work. You know, the thing is, if you, if you compare him, Jonathan, I mean, I know we have Beavers ahead of him, but I was talking to a scout who points out, you know, Beavers plays right field at Cal, and he doesn't have a lot of outfield instincts. And they're and, and they're comparing Jacob Melton to Beavers when I was doing my mock draft, and they're saying, you know, Melton plays center, he's faster than Beavers, he's got better instincts. Um, you know, uses the whole field. I, you know, so anyway, Melton went 12 for 24 at the Pac-12 tournament, which I think just, you know, helped him even more. Um, and, and I think, you know, again, it's so weird, like you were just saying, Jonathan, in a normal year, the draft would be next week. So we'd be like wrapping this up. We'd kind of have a feel like teams would be wrapping things up, know where guys are going to go. It's still wide open because we're we're still, what is it? 47 days from the draft, I guess, at this point, um, from the draft starting. But I, but I do think Melton is playing his way into the first round and, and will get the opportunity to you know continue to make his case in the regionals. They're a number three seed. I, I think they're going to be heavily favored in Corvallis. Vanderbilt's out there, but Vanderbilt doesn't have its usual pitching. So Melton's probably going to get at least two more rounds, and, and, and really they should be in Omaha. So he might have three more three rounds of the NCAA playoffs to continue to further state his case. And like I said, 12 for 24 uh, last week at the Pac-12, uh, at Pac-12 tournament. So he's, he is really helping himself. So people know uh, Jim and I both have large calendars up on our walls with the draft day circle, and we're just Xing off each day as we go. That's how he was able to figure that out so quickly. So, Jim, in, in a not in a word, but in a number, Jacob Melton was n- not on our top 100 prospects list uh, when it came out in December. He was at number 57 uh, when it expanded to 150 in April, then now is ranked 54. I know these rankings came out not too long ago. Where could you see him ending up? I know you're talking about him, you know, potentially working his way into the first round. Does this you see him potentially being in the top 30 when the list expands again and, and is juggled around i could i mean the, the, the interesting you know, thing i, I again, said you know i said in a number and then i gave you an open-ended question i, I you did yeah, that well, was good. Mistake. yeah rookie mistake i was i'll give you a range i i, I was, was going to say is i do think the 20 to, to 40 20 to 50 range is very fluid uh, both when we're doing mock drafts 
I know Jonathan was thrilled that I included supplemental first round picks in my last mock draft. Um, <clears throat> but it's 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 very fluid on our rankings too. So I, I think he's somewhere in that twenty to fifty range. I would put him, you know, at the upper half of that. You know, I, you know, I'm just looking at our list right now. Sterling yep. Thompson's twenty seven, Drew Gilbert's twenty eight, Brock Jones is thirty one. You know, those are all college outfielders. I, I I think he's around that area. You know, it's personal preference. I would take him. You know, if we were drafting outfielders today, we're going to draft pitchers. I would I would take him over Judd Fabian right now. We have Judd Fabian at thirty eight, but like that's that's what's fun about this is it's constantly shifting. And I, I don't know about you, Jonathan, but every time we do a new list, I can't remember how it's hit if it's been alternating. Like if you're the person who does the next mock, I think I did the next mock after we did our our list last time. I'm, I'm like, oh, God, I would move a bunch of guys around after I start sure. talking to more people because it, it, yeah. it's just all so fluid. Of course. I mean, and, and just because, you know, it, we try to find as much consensus. Obviously, the more we build up the list and, and tweak the order, you, you don't keep going back to getting, you know, dozens of scouting directors or national cross-checkers feedback on the, on the order. You know, we may, let's say we end up putting him at right around 35. I'm just picking him, you know, somewhere in that range. It doesn't mean that he's not going to go in the back end of the first round because all it takes is one team in the first round who wants a college outfielder and thinks he can play center. You know, you can make an argument that he belongs in front of Sterling Thompson, who is really, you know, is a, probably a left fielder. Um, you know, yeah, the swing really, really works, but you can make, you certainly can make that argument for him. Okay, let uh, Jonathan tell us about some another guy who, similar to Melton, was not on the top 100 list. He actually was not even on the top 150 when the list expanded to 200 he jumped up to 107 and has helped himself even more lately yeah i'll say uh i mean he's hit all your tyler locklear from virginia commonwealth now he's limited uh you know he really he's gonna play first base um at the pro level he's played a lot of third i mean maybe you can let him play third but you're you're buying the bat he's now Got an OPS over 1,300. He's hitting 403 and slugging 801 with 19 homers and 75 runs batted in. You know, so he started out as sort of this interesting kind of strength more than bat speed kind of guy, but he's just been putting up numbers upon numbers. So, it, you know, especially the teams that like performance and data, that's going to play, you know, and as he gets into, the, into these tournaments, he went nine for 11 with three homers um, in in their conference tournament. And before the championship game in that tournament, um, thanks to crack statistician Jim Callis. Well, I uh, just he, read a tweet. I just read yeah, a tweet, to be honest. He, uh, well, don't, you know, you, you did the work. I, I got to be honest. Um, he had eight homers and 30 runs batted in the 10 games before the championship. Then he homered. It was a solo homer. So the RBI rate went down. But. Uh, so we're talking, you know, nine homers, thirty-one RBIs in eleven game in his last eleven games. So he is as hot as you can be, and so he, I think if he continues to do that, you know, and I don't know how far Virginia Commonwealth can go, but um, you know, for those who are like, well, the Atlantic Ten is not a you know that great of a of a conference, uh, he's going to get the chance to do some damage in regional play. And then if they can continue to go on, like to Jim's point earlier, he, he has the chance to help himself. I think quite a bit if he, you know, if he shows against more consistently good pitching that he can continue to do the damage that he's done all year. 
His exit velocities are crazy. And, and yeah. VCU does a great job of tweeting. You can see him hit, crushing some balls. I have to say, I cannot root for Tyler Locklear, at least not in the first game of the Chapel Hill Regional, because they're facing my Georgia Bulldogs. So he will get a chance. I, I assume Jonathan Cannon will pitch that game for Georgia. Cannon's the top two-round pitcher. So, I mean, there's another opportunity to prove himself against a very good pitcher. Um, and then they likely, if they won that game, would play at UNC in the second round. But uh, I, I I wish Tyler Locklear well, just not on Friday. Not that well. Okay. Jim, give us a prospect to watch in the tournament. The guy who I think his stock is, it's just hard to pin down, is Blade Tidwell of Tennessee. You know, we at the beginning of the year, we were talking about how at one point, he was the highest ranked healthy pitcher, college pitcher on our list. And then he came down with shoulder trouble and missed his first six weeks of the year. And to date, he, he's yet to pitch five innings in a game. He's only pitched 28 and a third innings all year. He's got 41 strikeouts, which is obviously very good. And when he's on, he's, he's very, very good. You know, his last outing of the regular season, he pitched three shutout innings against Mississippi State, struck out five, three perfect innings. Uh, you know, it was up to 98. It was a wipeout slider. You know, then in the SEC tournament, you know, he pitched against Vanderbilt. And he only gave up a run in four and a third innings, but gave up six runners, struck out three. The stuff wasn't as sharp. He had trouble landing the slider for strikes. You know, and it's, it's crazy. I mean, Tennessee has been clearly the number one team in the country, and this was supposed to be their ace. And he hasn't even gone five innings in a start all year because of, of the shoulder soreness and everything. But, you know, if he gets going in the NCAA tournament, you know, he can get a you know, fastball up to 99. It could be a wipeout slider in the upper 80s. His changeup, which he hasn't used as much in shorter stints, got more swings and misses, you know, on a percentage basis than any of his other pitches last year when he was healthy. He's got a curveball. You know, I, I do think if Blake Tidwell goes out, I can have, you know, two, let's say, solid, you know, really good, or let's say really good five or six inning outings between now and the draft. I think he's got a chance to be the first pitcher drafted and certainly the first college pitcher drafted. But, you know, it, it's it's amazing to me how how good Tennessee, how well Tennessee has played this year without really having him dominate, him only pitching 28 and third innings. But um, I, I do think he has perhaps as much to gain or can really solidify himself the highest of anybody whose who's draft stock is in flux right now. All right, and Jonathan, your draft prospect to watch in the tournament. Yeah, it's funny. I kind of I saw that Jim was picking Tidwell, and I kind of liked the idea because we could, we could take guys at the very top. You know, everyone wants to see Kevin Parada or Jacob Berry, like the top guys perform, but I think taking a guy who, you know, is a little more volatile. You're not exactly sure where to put him. So I went with Brock Jones from Stanford who, you know, entered the year. People were really excited to see what he could do. He was a former two-sport guy, played football at Stanford before giving it up to, to focus on baseball. And last year, uh, you know, had a very solid year uh, where he had an OPS, you know, over a thousand power speed combination. And so people wanted to see what he would do to follow up. And then for the first, I don't know, six weeks or so of the season, he was, I, I, you know, he was terrible. Uh, I kept checking in with area scouts, West Coast guys, just you know, who were trying to go back in, and he was kind of lost at the plate. His timing was off. His his strikeout rate was really high, and that was the one you know, one concern uh, a little bit was the you know was the strikeout rate. And then all of a sudden, he kind of 
got his legs under him and and figured things out. And in conference play, he he's had an OPS of twelve eighty five. He's got a current nine game hitting streak going. So his numbers now are almost identical to last year's, uh, if not a little tiny bit better, higher on base, higher slugging. So his OPS for the year is over 1,100. And Jim and I were talking about this before we started recording, that if Brock Jones had been producing like this, if his numbers look like this, and it's 329, 464, 667, you know, then he'd probably be in, in the middle to the top half of the first round. So I think that if he goes out and and plays well and you know, continues to play well in the rest of whatever Stanford does in the postseason, he has a chance to really move up because, you know, all these guys, as we said, there are so many of these college hitters who do have some question marks. He's so athletic. He's one of those rare college bats with considerable ceiling because he's still like he's still learning how to play baseball full time. So there's there's some upside in here and now he's putting performance behind it. So I think he could start floating up more into that let's say 15 to 25 range if he continues to do what he's been doing lately. All right, we're talking NCAA tournament here on the MLB Pipeline podcast. But now let's uh turn the page a bit and Tell us about a couple guys who we will not be seeing in the tournament, top college draft prospects whose teams did not make it. Jim? Yeah, you know, my guy is a little bit hard to figure out from the way he finished the season, and that would be Adam Mazur of Iowa. Um, not your typical uh, path to top bra- top draft prospectness. He uh, spent his first two college seasons in South Dakota State, um, was an all-star in the Cape Cod League last summer, transferred to Iowa. Um, he's going to go in the top two or three rounds. And, and I thought he was even maybe making a push. You know, the college pitchers, as we've talked about all spring, have been very volatile. So many guys have been hurt. Maybe making a push into the first round. I mean, he can he throws a four-seamer or two-seamer. He hits 97 miles an hour. There's good sync on the two-seamer. His best pitch is a mid eighty slider that's got two-plane break. Um, he's got some tumble to the changeup. He's got a, a upper 70s curveball. Um and then controls, you know, average, it could get better. But there's a lot to like about Adam Mazur. And Iowa did not advance to the tournament. But but it, it's hard to figure out exactly what's going to happen with Mazur. Because he, you know, last two starts, uh, you know, he, he pitched really well in April. You know, he, he was given up, I think he went through a span where he gave up three runs and four starts. You know, heading into his last regular season start. <laughs> in that start, he his stuff was still pretty good. He gave up nine runs and two innings. Got a no decision in a 30-16 to 16 game against Indiana, which must have been insane. Uh, a uh, four-hour and 35-minute game, 30-16. to 16. And then in the tournament, in, in the Big Ten tournament, he went five innings against Penn State, struck out eight and five innings, battled his control, but his fastball sat around 89 miles an hour. His slider sat around 80, and he just was not as, you know, the stuff was not as crisp as it had been. And it was actually, his stuff was fine, he just got whacked in that Indiana start. So he will not get a chance to pitch in the NCAA playoffs. You know, they had a good season, but the Big Ten, you know, only gets so many bids. They went 36-19, 17-7 in the Big Ten. But, you know, you're going to have to, you know, make your judgments based on kind of the bizarre way his, his season ended. And, and, and quick quiz for you guys. He, he will go in the top three rounds, which will make him the first Hawkeye taken in the top three rounds since who? 
Do you know the last Hawkeye taken in the top three rounds? When was it? 1999. I'm going to say Alan Alda. This guy pitched in the big leagues. This guy pitched in the big leagues for three teams. <laughs> Royals, I Brewers. I don't think Alan Alda Marlins. ever made it to no. the big leagues. Jim, Jim talked over my, my, my mash joke. I didn't hear it. I'm sorry. Go, you go Alan, again. Alan Alda was my guest for the Hawkeye. Oh, Hawkeye. Right? right. There you go. It was not Alan Alda. It was, it was Wes Obermuller. And I bring him up because Wes has a son who pitches in high school in Iowa who I think is going to wind up going to college at Iowa. But guys like him. And, and we could see Cade Obermuller's name called on draft day this year as well. He's a dude, you're saying? He is a dude. All right. Projectable, projectable high school pitcher in Iowa. All right. Jonathan, someone that we are not going to see in the tournament is one of the biggest names, the the best bat in college baseball. Yeah, Brooks Lee, Cal Poly. Like I was doing some quick research and trying to figure out why. You know, so the Big West, the conference that Cal Poly is in, does not have a conference tournament. So Santa Barbara won the conference, and they they're in, and that is the only representative from the big west who who got in and you know cal poly had a good year like they they won 37 games they went 22 and 8 in the conference but there were no at-larges and part of that is you know the rpi rankings uh for the different conferences and they're down at least the one thing that i'm looking at uh like around 19th among in terms of the strength of the conference so friend of the podcast brooks lee his season is over, um, which is a shame. Now, it's not going to impact the stock or anything like that, but I just wanted to see him hit on the big stage some more. I mean, this is a guy who has hit everywhere. He finished the year with an 11.25 ops, had a lot more walks than strikeouts. He, he, he hit 15 homers. He slugged 664, and he, walked, and he struck out 28 times in 286 plate appearances. I mean, it's just insane numbers. So, uh, you know, he's still a guy who's going to go somewhere in the in the top five in the draft. It just it, I think it's a shame for college baseball fans that we don't uh, we don't get a chance to see him swing the bat in, in regional play. Yeah, we don't don't get to see him or another Golden Spikes Award semifinalist, Drew Thorpe. All right, you are listening to the MLB Pipeline podcast. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Jim and Jonathan are going to draft the top pitchers in this year's draft class. That's coming up next on the Pipeline podcast. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. We are a month and a half from the draft. The pitching situation in this year's draft is a pretty (laughs) unusual one. There are so many college pitchers injured. Didn't look like a particularly deep pitching class to begin with. Uh, So what we're going to do is we're going to have 
Jim and Jonathan draft. You, so you you guys said a dozen pitchers. And did you say that because there's a neat sort of break at that point? I, I just threw out a random number. No, I, I didn't really? want to go 20 deep, and I wanted to go more than 10. I figured let's go 12. I, 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 there, there was no calculation right, random okay. uh, as to why 12 rather than 14 or whatever. Okay. thought there might have been a, a break in the sort of tiers there. but Okay. So uh, as usual, we have not decided who will pick first. Jonathan, you you have uh, won the right to pick to make the 1-1 pick in our draft pitchers draft here. So you are on the clock. Excellent. Um, and as we've talked about over and over again, you know, and, and you get to that, it's, it's a hitter heavy group anyway. You know, nine of our top 10 prospects are all position players. So I'm going to kind of go according to chalk and I'm going to take the number one pitcher on our board. And that's Brock Porter from Orchard Lake St. Mary's High School in Michigan. He's tall. He's projectable. He's been really, really good. He's touched 100 miles per hour. He's got the best fastball of any prep pitcher in this class. It's got movement. It's, there's not a lot of effort. He's got a re- good feel, really good feel for his changeup. Uh, you know, his, his breaking stuff has gotten better. Uh, he has a legitimate four-pitch mix. He can throw strikes. You know, he just needs to go out and pitch. You know, cold-weather guy, fresh arm. I'm excited to see him out in the pro game and with pro instruction and to see how high his ceiling might be. How likely would you guys say it is that he is the first pitcher taken in the draft if, if you had to put odds on it? Mm-hmm. I'd say very likely as of yeah. today. I think if, like we talked about, if Blade Tidwell comes out and pitches really well, I could see him going ahead of Brock Porter. Although I think I had I had Cooper Jerpy going ahead of Brock Porter in my in my last mock draft. Like I, you do get the high school versus college thing, but but I I think the consensus is he's the best pitcher available right now based on everything we've seen so far all right and jim is your uh first selection here going to be affected by the current health of, uh... <laughs> well it, it it's funny because i think brock porter i i i i, I think brock porter is the clear number one choice to take right now um i also why i would like an investigation i feel like jonathan's had the first pick in like our last eight pipeline drafts that's I just ridiculous want to throw that um but I don't think there's a clear number two guy. Um, and I'm almost toying with with taking six injured guys just to make a point um, that there's some really talented injured guys out there or guys who have been injured at some point this year. Uh, it's I, I do not know where I want to go with this pick. I would like to trade down, but I don't believe that's an option. There, 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 there's no obvious answer here. I will I will stick with... Ah, I don't know that I would actually pick this guy too. It's, it's, it's very, very tough. Maybe we should do a one... A one pitcher draft and, and just call it here. This is ridiculous, <laughs> Jim. You knew you knew. I know, and I did. I did no prep. Pick. I I did no prep, and I even going into this is like, okay, am I going to take Lesko? I'm going to take Prelip. Um, you know what? I'm I will stick with Dylan Lesko right here. This is one of these things, Jonathan, where it's easier where we don't have to pay money to these guys. I don't have to Correct. pay Dylan Lesko four million dollars to get him away from Vanderbilt. I can just pick him number two in our draft. I will take Dylan Lesko. Because before he got hurt, I think he was the best pitcher in the draft, college or high school. It, it, you know, and, and outside of him having Tommy John surgery, which isn't a minor thing, but guys come back from that, there's really no red flag here. I mean, he's got a 92-97 mile an hour fastball with tremendous carry. Um, he might add some more velocity. He, I, he can get stronger. He, you know, the rehab of Tommy John, guys often come back throwing harder. 
He's got the best changeup in the draft. You know, it's just a filthy, filthy changeup that that moves sideways and then drops at the plate. Um, made some progress with curveball this year. It could be plus pitch at times. You know, I think I think him getting hurt was a surprise. I mean, it's a good delivery. There's a little effort. It, it, it's real easy. He locates his pitches very well. It's not just control; it's command. There's good extension on his in his delivery, which makes him that much more difficult. So, yes, I wish he hadn't had Tommy John surgery, but I will take I will take Dylan Lesko with this pick. Is it kind of funny that we're we're now at the point where you just brush off Tommy John? As you know, aside from Tommy John, there's no real <laughs> yeah, red no, flag I know, but right? you almost have to in this draft because everybody's everybody's hurt. But uh, yes, I will go. I will go Dylan Lesko. But yeah, it's like, I mean, if it was shoulder surgery, you'd, you'd feel more worried about it. Good makeup. No, no reason to think he's not going to work hard and come back from this. So I will I will take Dylan Lesko. All right. So two 18-year-old high school right-handers going off the board first and Brock Porter and Dylan Lesko and Jonathan pick number three. Well, I'm going to stay the high school route and I'm just trying to figure out which of the three lefties that we have grouped together I'm going to take. And I think, you know, it's been interesting because the, the three are Brandon Barrera, the American Heritage, who I think the general consensus has been like people consider him the best of the three and we have him ranked slightly ahead, but he hasn't pitched since like the end of April. He sh- shut things down. Robbie Snelling from Reno has the most helium of any high school arm. That's why he's got put him in the middle. He's at 16 overall. And then there's Jackson Ferris from IMG Academy. And that's who I'm going to take, uh, just because I like the projectability. He, six four, three pitches that could be plus. You know, the fastball right now is in the low 90s. There's good riding life, but there's every reason to believe that as he fills out that six foot four frame, he's going to throw harder. Uh, he's got a really good true 12 to six curveball and very good feel for a changeup. So the combination of projectability and holding his stuff, you know, the the I think he'll have to smooth out some things in his delivery. Uh, but I think it's all it's it's all there. So I will take Jackson Ferris with my next selection. All right. And Jim, are you going to take one of the, the two that Jonathan skipped over in, in terms of our rankings? I, I am going to go left-hander, but I'm going to go with Connor Prelip here with my second pick. I, I think Prelip would have been in discussion. Now, maybe not with how good the high school hitters are in this class, led by Drew Jones. It's a tremendous class. But I think he would have been a candidate coming into the year as potential number one overall pick if he hadn't gotten hurt last year and had Tommy John surgery last May. You know, we, we, t- we talked a little bit about, we didn't go into detail. He, he threw a bullpen right before they see, the day before they see tournament started, threw a, threw a bullpen in the rain. And the, the way guys described it to me, it was more taking care of business than, than blowing guys away with stuff, which I don't think is surprising. He wasn't going to come out there and try to pitch to the gun and and throw 95. But when, when, when Connor Prelip was fully healthy, he dominated, you know, his brief college career, had a wipeout slider that touched 90 miles an hour with two plane break that just disappears at the plate. He's got good metrics on a fastball that, that tops out at 95. It's got run, it's got downhill plane. Wouldn't be surprised if he throws harder, uh, coming back, you know, he, he's six two one seventy is what he's listed at. So I'm sure he's going to get stronger and he's gotten stronger during the rehab. He's got feel for a changeup, athletic, Another guy with with advanced. It's not just control; it's command. So I will go Connor Prelip uh, with my second pitcher taken, and and let Jonathan dip back into his pool of high school lefties if he wishes with his third round selection. And do you do that, Jonathan? No, because one. Well, of then you're a gonna... liar because you said you were torn <laughs> between the three. I was torn, but here's the thing: there's going to be another lefty for me next round. 
That's true. Okay. I'm sorry I called you a liar. I, I should have called you a strategist. So there <laughs> that, you go. That, that's better. They're not mutually exclusive, mind you. But in this case, I know that one of them will be there. Very Belichickian of you. Um, so I am – I no, I reject that. Um, <laughs> I'd rather you call me a liar. Um, wow. He's a Steelers fan. Come on. He, yeah. he, that so should be surprising. I'm going to take the best healthy college arm in, and one of my, my, one of my favorites in Gabe Hughes from Gonzaga – a part of a very deep pitching staff uh, for the Zags. He's not been quite as sharp lately, but still, uh, you know, overall, uh, this is a guy who has, you know, had a, a very good year, a 284 earn run average. He's got 131 strikeouts against just 35 walks and 92 innings. Uh, and, you know, it has a chance to have at least two plus pitches. Uh, fastball is regularly up to 97. Uh, he might throw harder. He's already 6'4", 220, but I, you know, I think there's more in the tank once he gets into the pro side. His slider is very often a wipeout plus pitch, touches 90 miles an hour, and he's got feel for the changeup, um, and he throws strikes. And I think that's, uh, that's the, the big thing for him, you know, is the size, the stuff, now stuff. He's healthy, and he fills up the strike zone. So... Uh, I like guys in the Pacific Northwest, um, and uh, he's had – I don't want to say he's under the radar, but I, I do think that in another draft or if he were in another you know program, let's see if he were in the SEC, maybe uh, we'd be hearing more about him, as good as Gonzaga's been this year. All right, Jim, pick number six. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with my theme of uh, health questions around guys, and, and I'm going to take Blade Tidwell, who we've talked about at length, has a chance for – or three or four solid plus pitches. He you know, needs to refine his control, and we don't need to break down his stuff again, but I will throw out, he was on the same high school team, Loretto High School, as Ryan Weathers. They won the Tennessee State Championship in 2017 and somehow did not win in 2018. So if we had a crack research team, which we don't, I think it's just us, <laughs> I would love to know who beat that team in the 2018 Tennessee State playoffs to beat a team with Ryan Weathers, who was the number seven overall pick that June, and Blade Tidwell, who's probably going to be a first-round pick three years later after going to Tennessee, or four years later, I mean, must have been a pretty good team that knocked them off. All right, we are halfway through our arbitrarily set 12-pitcher <laughs> draft. Now three consecutive college pitchers off the board, a little surprising there to me anyway. And at number seven, Jonathan, who do you take? Well, I'm, I have the same decision to make because I could not go back to the high school lefties. I'm going to get um, called a liar again. Well, you know, because, well, it's the same thing. They'll, one of them will still be there. However, I do think that one of them will be, you know, will still be there. But I'm going to go according to our rankings here and take Brandon Barrera from American Heritage. Really good feel for pitching. He's, you know, not like, he's not like super projectable. He's 6'2". It's not like he's 5'10". Fastball will touch 95, 96, or did it last, last summer in shorter stints. More sits in the low 90s. Really good low 80s slider. I think his changeup probably has a chance to be his best pitch. He throws a lot of strikes. He goes right after hitters. You know, have to prove that he can hold up as a starter, but most people believe he will. You know, it was curious to me that he shut things down and April 19th was the last start he made. He's not hurt. It was just out of caution. And some ways I'm like, maybe that's smart. In some ways, maybe that's a bit of a dangerous precedent. But teams were very much on him. Uh, you know, we saw him last year in uh, in Denver throw perfect inning. And I, he also elicited one of the best comps I got from a longtime scout 
Uh, and you can always tell how long the guy's been in scouting when they compare a high school kid now to Ron Guidry. I like that. Gator. Yeah. All right. So three lefties, four right-handers off the board. And Jim, your pick at number eight. Well, I just want to tell you guys, Tennessee Secondary School Athletic Association has an unbelievable website. So I'm going to give you a quick finding on how Loretta lost in 2018. I would have lost sleep on this, so thank you. I know. Well, I, I, would, I would have lost sleep. So they win their first game in a route, whether they pull them after two innings because it's a run rule game. Win their second game behind Tidwell, complete game. Number three starter loses the third game to put him in the loser's bracket. They win their fourth game. And in the championship game, they would have had to win and then for, to force another game. Ryan Weathers pitched a nine-inning shutout with 11 strikeouts. But they, Loretto could not score against Columbia Academy and lost one to nothing in twelve innings. And I, I don't recognize anybody on Columbia Academy's box score. But, uh, but anyway, that, that my, the crack research team, which in this case was me, you are the crack research team, has unearthed the answer to that question because I know our listeners like we built some suspense there. I know the listeners were were wondering about that one. All right, your your pick at number eight, Jim Crack Gallus. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a healthy guy now. What? I know I'm gonna take a healthy guy. But I'm I'm torn. I'm still torn between lefties here. Mm-hmm. You know what? I, I'm going to take Robbie Snelling. I'm, I'm going to go with the high school kid. I'm not afraid to take high school arms. Really liked Robbie Snelling when I saw him on uh, you know in that All Star game in Denver last year. I, I like. I remember the time when I was doing some prep. Well, looking at video of him just lighting guys up as a linebacker. He also uh, played quarterback, but just very physical guy. I think he could play college football. Like Jonathan said, is I think as much helium as any high school lefty right now. He broke Sean Estes Nevada high school strikeout record. You know he's getting up to ninety seven, ninety eight miles an hour. He can just really spin an exceptional curveball. He's strong. He's physical, athletic. So I will I, I will not go for the theme draft and take all guys with physical questions. I will take a healthy Jackson Ferris with this pick. Robbie Snelling, you mean? Oh, uh, I, I said Jackson Ferris. Yeah. right there. He's off the board. Man. <laughs> I, I did mean Robbie Snell. I'm looking at the, I'm looking I'm looking at our draft <laughs> list. Yes, I'm I'm stealing your second round pick. What was that? It's a, it's a, it's a little known uh, draft rule. I can take your second round in the fourth round. Yes, that was all Robbie Snelling, and I was looking at Jackson Ferris, who was the next guy on our pitchers list, but obviously he's been taken. Yes, Robbie Snelling for me. I w- I will say that that Robbie Snelling uh, football highlight reel was impressive. One of one of my favorite. Very fun. One of my favorite. Other sport highlight reels for a draft prospect since uh, Monte Harrison. Monte, yeah, you know that's my all-time favorite. With oh, the, sure, with the, he, the basketball and football highlights. Yeah, he played like nine sports, right? Yeah, that was, was very impressive. All right, uh, Jonathan, pick number nine, and feel free to steal one of Jeff. <laughs> you can have my second rounder. Come get Connor Prelip. No, that's right. I just want to add. You know, the interesting thing about Snelling is that he originally was going to play football and baseball at Arizona. And then when Arizona's coach left for LSU, he opted to change his commitment to LSU where he would not get the opportunity to play football. So he sort of made the decision what he was going to do. And, uh, and it was now focusing on baseball. Now, it, now it's not going to matter. I don't think he's going to go early enough uh, to, to begin his pro career. Um, I am going to go the college lefty route. I'm guessing this is the other guy you were looking at, uh, Cooper Jerpy from Oregon State, who is the kind of the epitome of the pitchability college lefty. It's a funky crossfire delivery. So even right-handed hitters don't pick the ball up. You know, his fastball 
low 90s, but you know that delivery makes it uh, tough, a lot of movement. He throws kind of a Laredo kind of breaking ball, lower three-quarter slot. He manipulates it really well. He's super smart. So it's, sometimes it's a, like a slower curve, uh, like in the mid-70s, and then he'll tighten it up and it looks more like a slider. He's got a, a good changeup. Uh, he throws a ton of strikes, even with the the funk in his delivery. And boy, has he been good. He's got a two three three earned run average, uh, 140 strikeouts and 18 walks in 89 innings this year. Um, so this is a guy who I think, you know, you could push him and he's going to move fairly quickly through his system. Maybe he doesn't have as high a ceiling of some of the other guys we've taken. Um, but especially in this draft class, uh, he has kind of started to, to float up, um, you know, higher because he's been so good consistently. Um, you know, Jim had him at 13 to the angels in his last mock, um, because of the combination of his of his stuff uh, and the performance and that he's healthy. And if you're listening and not familiar with that name and might be wondering how that's spelled, H-J-E-R-P-E, might not, might not guess that. Jim, pick number 10. I'm going to take, I'm going to go back and take another injured guy, Peyton Paulette from Arkansas, hurt his elbow last May, tried to rehab it. Didn't really pitch much during the fall. His elbow bothered him in January, and he was diagnosed with a ligament tear that wound up with Tommy John surgery. But you know, I just he gets compared a lot to Walker Bueller. He's he's kind of that wiry six foot one guy. Bueller pitched through an elbow injury his entire junior year at, at Vanderbilt, and wound up having Tommy John surgery before he threw a pro pitch. And I I, I like the comp. Pellets up to ninety nine miles an hour with riding action on his fastball. He's got a hammer curveball with power, high spin rates, good depth. He's got a, a changeup with, with some life to it. Um, you know, he's not as polished. He, he, he has more stuff than, than Bueller had at the time. You know, Bueller was more of a low 90s guy, and his stuff just took off after Tommy John surgery. Um, but I kind of like the, the Walker Bueller parallels. Always been a big Walker Bueller fan going back to high school. So I will take Peyton Paulette here with my fifth of six picks. All right, and with just a couple picks left, there are a handful of guys that are ranked higher than Palat here. Jonathan, are you going to climb up the rankings to make your pick here? Yes, I'm trying to decide whether I want to take the next best healthy college arm or take a flyer on a high school arm who has been not as good lately. You know what? Why not? I'm going to roll the dice and take Andrew Dukanich, high schooler from Indiana. Uh, it's been a little bit of a roller coaster for him this year. I mean, he started out his year, and obviously, you know, uh, kind of like with Brock Porter in Michigan, scouts had to wait a little bit for it to warm up. He came out of the gate red hot, uh, was pitching very well, and kind of started hearing his name in that kind of where we see we're hearing Brock Porter's name. Then he put together a couple of really bad starts in front of a lot of decision makers. So, you know, now we got him down at 30. So in effect, I think I'm kind of buying low here. Um, this is a guy with a chance to have a legitimate four pitch mix. He'll show three plus pitches at times. He's six, three, you know, he's got plenty of size. The fastball can touch 96, 97 throws downhill. The slider is really, really good. He has some feel for the changeup. He doesn't need it in Indiana. So we'll see 
what happens. There's projection here. I'm of the mind that while you're concerned about a really, really bad, and when I say really bad, it was like he walked eight in a start where a lot of decision makers were, that you don't throw that guy out just because of that. Now, maybe it means, especially because of the risk with high school right-handers, he doesn't go in the first round. That's fine, but I think he's a first-round talent. All right. So, Jim, the final pick of this draft, looking at pitchers who have not been taken, uh, just looking down the top 200 draft prospects list, Justin Campbell, Oklahoma State, is number 34 on our list, number 36, Carson Wisenhunt of East Carolina, and number 39, Kumar Rocker of the Tri-City Valley Cats now. You're going to go with one of these guys. You're going to go further down the board. What, what does your mock draft have me, have me doing here? I mean, I, I want I want you to take Kumar so we can talk Kumar, but I don't I don't think you're going to. Yeah, I'm I'm torn between all those guys because I I do like Justin Campbell and I think he has a good chance to go in the first round. And I even like you guys down below. Thomas Harrington could be a first rounder. Jacob Miller could be a first rounder. I would take Kumar, except the reason I'm not going to take him is we don't know what's going on with him physically. Um, I'd like to know what scared the Mets so much that they ran away from trying to sign him as the 10th overall pick last year. And so because I don't know, you know, is it shoulder, is it elbow? We've heard either, we've heard both, you know, what extent. Because I, there's just too much uncertainty for me. I, I need to see the medical records, guys. But I am going to keep confidence in my medical team. Maybe our I'm uh, crack take, research staff could track those down before you make it they're, they're 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 confidential you can't get them yet nobody has them we, we've tried but um i'm just gonna take a guy who is also hurt coming back from tommy john so i've got one two i've got four tommy john guys and a guy with shoulder soreness earlier in the year i'm gonna take landon sims just because in the long run i think he probably is a reliever but i think he's a closer uh you know he and will bednar were the pitching heroes of the college world series last year for mississippi state He's up to 98 with just like a really flat approach angle that gives him tremendous carry up in the strike zone. Guys cannot hit his fastball. His mid 80s slider might be even better than his fastball. He's got the late inning makeup. You know, I think he was interesting to consider as a starter. He only lasted three starts. Doesn't mean they you couldn't try to start him again. But even if he just winds up being a late inning reliever, potential closer, I think he's a difference maker. So I will. Robbie Snelling will be getting my opening day start since he's my only completely healthy pitcher. Prelip's just working his way back, throwing bullpens, and Tidwell's coming off the shoulder. But uh, we're, we're going to take faith in our medical team that, that we're going to get these guys back 100%. All right, so there we have it. The top 12 pitchers of this arbitrary draft, Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo, Brock Porter, Dylan Lesko, Jackson Ferris, Connor Prelip, Gabe Hughes, Blake Tidwell, Brandon Barriera, Robbie Snelling, Cooper Derby, Peyton Paulette, Andrew Dukanich, and Landon Sims. We'll see how that all shakes out uh, in the actual, real, non-arbitrary draft in July. Looking forward to that. We're going to take a quick break right now. When we come back, we are going to look ahead at this week's MILB schedule games that will be on MLB.com and MLB.tv for you to watch for free. And we will answer a question from the mailbag that's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... 
Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. Hopefully you know by now, but if you don't, we have put select minor league baseball games on MLB.tv and MLB.com, where you can watch for free. MLB.tv and MILB.tv subscriptions. Obviously, you can watch every available game in the big leagues and the minor leagues. Not every time. I think there are 19 teams in the minors that broadcasts are not available yet. But uh, yeah, you can watch over 100 minor league teams. But these games are completely free. You don't even have to have the subscription. We're giving you a little taste here. And this week's slate is uh, another fun one starting on Tuesday. And again, the schedule, generally speaking, is Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday. Tuesday's game, Indianapolis at Omaha, AAA matchup of the Pirates and Royals affiliates. And what we're hoping for in this one was O'Neill Cruz versus Nick Prado and Italian breakfast, Vinny Pascantino. Cruz did not play or left the game uh, with a minor injury in his last game. Uh, was really starting to heat up. So unfortunate timing there, but sounds like hopefully nothing serious. But that's Tuesday's game, and that'll be a fun one uh, regardless. Wednesday's game is Jacksonville at Norfolk. And uh, we ha- were lined up for a Cabrera versus Grayson Rodriguez head-to-head matchup, which was very nice, and it sounds like it will not be Cabrera as he's going to be uh, pitching in the big leagues, but we still get Grayson Rodriguez, and you can't argue with that. Thursday is Richmond at Akron. Uh, Kyle Harrison, double-A debut. He's been one of the best pitchers in the minors this year and facing a, a formidable Akron lineup that includes two top 100 prospects and hopefully will uh, include Daniel Espino uh, soon as well as he's on the roster but uh, has been injured, hasn't pitched in a while. Hopefully he'll be back soon. Saturday's game, Somerset at Binghamton. you got Yankees, Mets. you got Volpe, uh, one of the top 10 prospects in all of baseball versus the Mets big three and Alvarez, Beatty, and Mauricio. And then on Sunday is our pipeline game of the month. Jonathan will be on hand in Altoona as the Curve hosts the Bowie Bay Sox and top 100 prospect Gunnar Henderson facing some top 100 prospects on the Pirate side as well in Nick Gonzalez and Leover Paguero. So Jim and Jonathan, let's have each of you spotlight one of these games. What What's the game here that is most intriguing for you that if you were only going to be able to watch one of these games, which one would you watch? Because I think I know your answer, Jonathan, Jim, first pick. In this draft. Well, and I want this not to be interpreted as any kind of slight to Jonathan, but I'm not going to pick his pipeline game of the month with him in wow. attendance. Uh, Appreciate that. I know. I'm sorry, Jonathan. But uh, you guys know I love Kyle Harrison as a prospect. I think he might be the best left-handed pitching prospect in baseball. He's averaging you know, two strikeouts per inning just about this year. Really curious to see how he does making the jump to double A, still pretty young against a, a pretty formidable Akron lineup. Um, so I, I will go with Kyle Harrison's double A debut as much as I respect Jonathan Mayo, hate Mayo, love Jonathan Mayo, hate mayonnaise, but uh, love Jonathan Mayo. 
I, I'm going with Richmond at Akron on Thursday. And Jonathan, you you would watch the broadcast with yourself. Now I feel like this is like terribly self-promotional, but I'm going to do it, <laughs> but I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, Cause yeah, it's our pipeline game of the month. I think our, you should tout some other one. game is better than the game. That's our game of the month. Right. Uh, please tune into the game that I'm going to be part of the broadcast for. I mean, that's terrible, but no, I will. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to, to head out to Altoona. You know, it's one of these things that every year I'm like, I'm going to try to get to some more minor league games. And, you know, Altoona is less than two hours from my house. And just uh, we end up having too much to do typically, and then you know COVID didn't help. So I, I'm excited to go out there. You know, even though Henry Davis is hurt and Quinn Priester isn't quite back yet, you mentioned Nick Gonzalez and the over Paguero, and you know I do the Pirates top thirty, and you know even with the injured guys, like a third of their top thirty is on this Altoona roster. So like I think we're going to get to see Carmen Majinski pitch which will be fun. And then there's the added bonus of, of seeing Gunnar Henderson, who, you know, the Orioles Twitterverse is going bonkers over, you know, last week's inbox, I answered four Gunnar Henderson questions. Uh, and so, but, you know, I've never laid eyes on him. So I'm excited to, to see him play in, in that game as well. And, you know, the game of the month, uh, we do all sorts of fun stuff. We'll have some, some interviews on, on the, the pipeline Instagram live. We'll have a ballpark tour on the, uh, MILB Instagram account and some other interviews that will turn into, you know, Q and A's and stories later on. And I'll be a part of the Altoona curve broadcast as well. And I think you said that you are going to be calling that game from the roller coaster, right, Jonathan? <laughs> uh, so the funny thing about that, and I'm, I'm certainly not uh, above that uh, a million years ago, I did the triple a all-star game when it was in Louisville which I think was 2008, you know, if memory serves correctly. And I was the sideline reporter and I did a hit from the carousel that was beyond the right field, off the right field fence, down the first baseline. So if I'm, if I'm willing to do something with carousel, I would be willing to do something from, from the roller coaster. Thankfully for me, our young Pirates beat writer, Justice De Los Santos is coming with me and I'm going to, I'm going to let him take on that chore. All right. Speaking of the Pirates, this week's mailbag question comes once again from Pirates 2026 wildcard participant. Is uh, his Twitter name handle a eight three seven three six one asks what's holding Cam Callier back from being mentioned among the one A group of prep bats versus the range you currently have him in. Well, the biggest thing Jim and I were talking about is that he's not a prep bat. Yeah, yep. Technicality. <laughs> I mean, not even really a technicality, but. Yeah, he's technically not a uh, prep bat, but you know what he means. You know, had he not decided to graduate early and play what would have been his senior spring in junior college at as good a junior college program there is in the country with Chipola, you know, I think he'd be right there with that group of, of Drew Jones, Elijah Green, Jackson Holiday, Termar Johnson. I'm not saying he would necessarily rank fifth on our list because those guys are in the first four spots, but I, I think he would be talked about in that top tier of high school guys. You know, I mean, there's, there's so much to like about him, Jonathan. I mean, he was, he would have been my guy if he was a Georgia high school or he's your guy. Cause he's a Florida Juco kid. He's a son of Lou Collier, you know, the big leaguer. I think he's one of the best hitters in the draft. It's just a really good left-handed bat, nice swing, a lot of contact, very good bat speed, you know, played well at Chipola. He's going to continue. Like I, I guess Cam Collier, you know, enjoys degree of difficulty, because he's going to play in the Cape Cod League. I'd like to know the last time a, 
a 17 year old played in the Cape Cod league. I, I'm sure it's been a while. Um, but his bat is that good. And, you know, in, in my mock draft last week, I had him going seventh to the Cubs. Um, I, I think he's played himself into that. I think it's seven to 12 right now, Jonathan, seven to 15 range. But if, if he even snuck up a little higher, especially if he played well on the Cape, that would not surprise me at all. Yeah, I could, I could see him sort of creeping up there. And I'm, you know, I'm going to guess that our, our Pirates uh, questioner is sort of eyeing the Pirates at number four. I don't know that that's completely out of the question. You know, they would save some some money there. I, I don't. It wouldn't they, be. They have been kicking the tires on him too. Yeah, I, I think it's right. more of a. I had that in my mock also. I think it's more of a. In case things blow up, we don't like where this right. is headed. But but they 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 have scouted him fairly heavily. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a you know Plan C maybe or whatever it is. But uh, so it's not out of the realm of you know, possibility. I don't, you know, I'm working, I'm, I'm going to be doing this week's mock and I don't think I'll have him that high, but if we heard his name called right in that range, I don't think it would be a shock, especially as just say, if he goes out and uh, you know, we were talking a little bit about this before we went on, uh, on to record, like he doesn't have to put up huge numbers in the Cape. You know, if he has, continues to have the professional looking at bats that he's had all spring as one of the youngest guys, for that really good junior college program in Chipolo, if he has good at bats and he more than holds his own, that's going to help him. So, you know, he, he, you know, I think you have the right general range for him. And I think he's going to be on, I want to say the Katuit Ketaliers. If you're, you're making your Cape Cod league plans, you can catch him at Katuit. Do you guys, uh, you feel like he's kind of flown under the radar a bit? Like, you know, I know he, he's not, he's not Bryce Harper. We know that, but he's, Doing the same thing where he left early, going to a you know great junior college, playing against much older competition. He, his numbers there, he slashed 333, 419, 537, eight home runs and five stolen bases in 52 games as a 17-year-old. And again, this is not Bryce Harper leaving early to go on to become the number one overall draft pick, but it's there are some parallels here. And I've I feel like I haven't heard a whole lot about him relative to these the the other group of guys that you're talking about. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. And I think Juco guys do fly under the radar a little bit. You know, obviously if you're at a four year school, you're getting a lot of attention or if you're in the high school ranks, he probably would have hit, you know, 600 or something in Georgia. But I, I do feel like he's flying a little bit under the radar. I mean, we've got him up to number 12 on our, our top 200 now, but you know, and again, like you said, he's not Bryce Harper, but you know, Bryce Harper, I think was even a year younger because I think Bryce Harper was a junior. But like Bryce Harper got so much attention, you know, obviously he'd been on the cover of Sports Illustrated and Cam Collier, it's, you know, just went to Chipotle and had a really nice spring very quietly. And even, you know, did a nice job of, you know, he struggled a little bit in March, got off to a hot start, struggled in March, and then he came back and had a really solid April and yeah. May. So he got, he um, got better. And I think the other thing I'll add is, you know, Obviously, yeah, the, the Bryce Harper, you almost have to put that out there because he's an outlier. But, you know, not only did he leave high school early, he switched regions, right? So he went to a different place with a whole different slew of area scouts who who didn't know him. Now, there are probably a few teams that have the Panhandle and Georgia, so there may have been a little crossover. But I also think there was some catching up that had to be done by the scout, you know, by, by the scouts who didn't think they were going to, you know, they didn't scout him like last summer thinking, all right, we need to put him on a follow list, you know, initially because he was a 2023 guy. Then, then he reclassifies and goes and, you know, they, all the Florida scouts went and saw him in the fall, 
but you don't you don't get a huge look that but that sort of got things started so I, I think there was some catch up that the industry needed to do as well and that may have contributed slightly to the sort of under the radar feeling he started out as number 20 on our top 100 draft prospects list back in december bumped up to 17 when it expanded in april and now at 12 so on his way up thanks very much to pirates 2026 wildcard participant for that question and thanks to everybody for listening that's going to do it for this week's episode of the mlb pipeline podcast don't forget to subscribe on apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode if you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions leave us a rating and a review thanks for listening everybody see you next week